Welcome to Chicago Tabernacle, a place of becoming. Wherever you find yourself, we pray that you would be encouraged today by God's word. Please join us now as we hear a message from Pastor Toledo. It's so good to serve the living, the risen one, hallelujah, who still works in our lives. And I want everyone to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, because we're going to be looking at the chapter that explains why we sing songs like the one that we just sang. Because our God not only created the world, but he came to the earth. He took on the sin of all mankind. He was nailed to the cross. He went into the grave. And after three days, the Bible says that he rose again in power, defeating sin and death so that he could take away our pain, so that he could break all the chains. How many know Jesus rose from the dead in power and he's here to release his power among his people? Hallelujah. He really indeed is a chain breaker. And 1 Corinthians uh, uh, chapter 15 is probably the most extensive um, chapter in the Bible, the extensive explanation in the Bible of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're going to plant here for three weeks. We're just going to start on a, a, a series titled The Resurrection. And um, I want you to read uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this week and in the weeks to come. There is so much there, we actually could spend about two months on it. Um, but we're going to spend three weeks. And uh, before, before I, I get into this, I want to say that as a Christian, it is very, very important for you to understand the essentials of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus is the fundamental teaching of Christianity. Christianity falls apart without the resurrection. Paul declares that everything we believe in as Christians actually hinges on the bodily resurrection of Jesus. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, he literally says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we are to be pitied. Because all of this singing, all of this hoopla is for nothing. But how many know it is for something because he rose from the dead in power. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so we need to jump right into this. And Paul begins his discourse on the resurrection by testifying to the factuality of it. And then he talks about not only the, he speaks to the fact, and this is what we're going to look at today, that, that the resurrection of Jesus was not only factual, but it was actually effectual. Okay, that's an old word. It was factual and effectual. It means it really, it had a powerful impact, a powerful effect on everything. So let's go ahead. First Corinthians chapter 15, beginning with verse 1, it says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. Okay? 
It says, by this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Now look at me for a second. The reason why I wanted to read especially these three verses is because some of the Christians in the first century were getting tempted to not believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead. You see, because, because the devil knows and the enemies of God understood that if they could discredit the resurrection, then they could discredit everything. You see? And so this is why Paul was laying out this, this 58 verses, brothers and sisters. This is a very extensive argument uh, um, and uh, very powerful. But you have to understand that there is always a pressure from the world to minimize the resurrection. Whatever you do, do not allow the world to ever, ever tell you that Jesus did not rise from the dead because that is the essence of everything. We thank God for the fact that he died, but if he did not rise, well, he did not conquer sin and death. If he did not conquer sin and death, we could not have new lives. But hallelujah, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation because he did rise from the dead. Hallelujah. And history reveals the power of God being released generation after generation because Jesus rose from the dead in power. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Had to get that off of my chest for it. Okay. So now it says, For what I received I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried... And that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Okay? Now look at, the, look at how Paul was saying, look, this was factual. Watch this. He says, and that he appeared to Cephas. Cephas was Peter. Peter was the one who denied him. On the night that he was going through all of the, 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 the horrible persecution before he was led to the cross. And Peter said, I won't deny you. But Jesus said, you will deny me. And he did deny him. And he called down curses. And yet, when Jesus rose from the dead, the first one he appeared to was the one who denied him. Because he's rich in mercy. And because where sin abounds, his grace, hallelujah, does even more abound. The beauty and the power of Christianity. There's nothing like Jesus. There's no one like Jesus. There's nothing like what he's done for us. The first one that he appeared to was Peter. Hallelujah. It says, and then to the twelve. Watch this. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, which was the half-brother of the Lord. And then watch this. And then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Now I want to stop here, okay, because we're now going into the main focus of the message, but I want you guys to understand that Paul lays out a list of people, a list of witnesses that anyone could have just gone to and said, did you see the risen Savior? Okay? 
And, and it's important for us to understand that this was a very important list for him to lay out. Because down the road, when they would say, well, did he rise from the dead? Yes, he rise from the dead. Just go ask all of these people. Okay? Just go ask all of these people. And then he says, uh, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Jesus does his crowning work and now his crowning testifier is the one who was his greatest enemy at the time. Okay? So you have to understand what is happening here Okay, in that time, during the first century, imagine, imagine that, that one of these, the heads of, of let's say, ISIS or, or Al-Qaeda, imagine one of them getting saved. Imagine Osama bin Laden getting saved and now became, becoming a preacher of the gospel. This is who the apostle Paul was. Okay, imagine, imagine Madonna getting saved and preaching the gospel. And now, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Madonna's going to come and preach the word today. Okay? We're, we're talking about, or Lady Gaga. Okay? Or whoever else. These people who discredit the kingdom of God and living for the glory of God, this is the kind of person that the Apostle Paul was. Okay? And so this is really, really powerful. And then he says this. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace was to me, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me, whether then it is I or they, this is what we preached, and this is what you believed. How many believed that he rose from the dead in power. Hallelujah. And so what happened was is that he rose from the dead in power and the Apostle Paul gives this long list of witnesses and then he himself testifies. And then so the, the title of today's message is the testimony of the resurrection. The testimony of of the resurrection, and I want to pray because in a moment, what you're going to see is what the resurrection actually did in a very powerful but practical way, okay? It was practical but incredibly powerful, and that power is still being released among us to this very day. So I want to pray, Father, we thank you for this time in your presence, thank you that we could gather together, Lord, even thousands of years after you rose from the dead. I thank you that we could gather together, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, the risen Savior. And Lord, we can come boldly to the throne of grace today to receive mercy and grace in our time of need. Thank you, Lord, that the power continues to flow because you rose from the dead. And may Paul's testimony become our testimony. Bless this word in our time together. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. What we need, brothers and sisters, 
is for the testimony of the resurrection to be released all over Chicago. That's why we're putting on the story of love. That's what it's all about. Amen? Now, let me just address a couple things when it comes to the, the factual nature of the resurrection. And by the way, there are just truckloads of material on this. If you want to do some research, there are so many books. You could get Josh McDowell's book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Lee Strobel has a book. They're just on and on. So many studies were done on the veracity, the legitimacy of the rising of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's unbelievable. But I want to give you a couple basic things here. First of all, three things are required to make a testimony trustworthy. First of all, the witnesses must be competent first-hand witnesses, okay? So they have to have seen it for themselves, and that's why the original witnesses and this list that he gives is very important because these were first-hand witnesses, and not, they were very competent, and you see from their lives because when you look at the lives of the disciples and the apostles, they went on to go all over the world to turn the world upside down without weapons, without political positions, just by the grace of God flowing through their veins, just pouring out of their hearts and mouths. They turned the world upside down, and they even gave their lives, and they would not deny Jesus. You understand? And it says they must be sufficient in number. I would say the list that the Apostle Paul gave was sufficient. And number three, they must have a good reputation. Okay, these were credible witnesses. These were people whose lives were put to the test, and you see that they went to different parts of the world, and they lived consistently for God. And here's what this basically means. Okay, the apostles met this criteria, but listen in this context. After living with him for three years, they were dejected and demoralized when he was crucified and buried. They had lost their hope because they thought he was dead, and their hope died with him. The followers of Christ that were with him for three years, they thought their hope died with him. When he appeared to them, they were catapulted into the dark, difficult world of the Roman Empire, and they fearlessly took it on. The resurrection released something powerful into them and that, that set them on fire, and that fire was not quenched by, by threat of prison or death of, or loss. Nothing could quench the fire that was inside of them. Now, let's just put up a couple of quick things for you. Number one, the late liberal scholar John uh, A.T. Robinson of Cambridge, he conceded, which means he didn't want to admit it, but he conceded that the burial of Jesus Christ is one of the earliest and best attested facts about Jesus. Some people say that Jesus didn't really die and that there's a theory called the swoon theory and it's baloney. Okay? You mean to tell me he was spit on, beat up, 15 hours of torture, all of the things that he went through, seven-inch nails were driven through him. He was left there to hang, okay? And then after that, they pierced his side with a sword, and, and they, it, there is not one documented crucifixion in Roman history where the person crucified didn't die. Not one. But Jesus was the one. Come on, guys. Yeah, those Roman soldiers were going to let that get by. 
you see? And so he, he not only died, but he went into the grave. Uh, uh, another one, listen, another scholar said it this way now. On the other side, he said, it is extremely difficult to object to the empty tomb on historical grounds. Those who deny it do so on the basis of theological or philosophical assumptions. In other words, when you put the test of evidence, the legal forensic uh, test of evidence to the resurrection of Jesus, you cannot say that he didn't go into the, into the tomb, and you cannot say that they found the tomb empty. Remember, if you read in this week, just remember, guys, that when Jesus was put into the tomb, the Pharisees went to, uh, to Pilate and said, look, he said he was going to rise again. So you need to put some soldiers to guard the tomb. So the government was guarding the tomb that he was buried in. Okay? But hallelujah, how many know there's no earthly power that can stop the resurrection power? Can I get an amen? <laughs> Blessed be the name of the Lord. Okay, I just want to finish out by reading this, I think, amazing quote to you. Jesus of Nazareth. Without money and arms, conquered more millions than Alexander the Great, Caesar, Muhammad, and Napoleon. Without science and learning, he shed more light on things human and divine than all philosophers and scholars combined. Without eloquence of school, he spoke such words of life as were never spoken before or since and produced effects which lie beyond the reach of orator or poet. Without writing a single line, he set more pens in motion and furnished themes for more sermons, orations, discussions, learned volumes, works of art, and sweet songs of praise than the whole army of great men of ancient and modern times. Born in a manger and crucified a malefactor, he now controls the destiny, the destinies of the civilized world and rules a spiritual empire which embraces one-third of the inhabitants of the globe. All of this is true because his bodily, because all of this is true because of his bodily resurrection from among the dead. This was a church historian. Could we praise God for rising from the dead today? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, here's what I would say to anyone who is a serious skeptic, okay? Because in a moment, now we're going to apply this to us. If you're a serious skeptic here, then here's my challenge to you. Just take a serious look. That's all. Just take a serious look. Not a, not a fake look, a serious look. Because there are many, many people who started as serious skeptics who took the time to study the resurrection, the evidence the testimonies, and all of, the, all of that is laid out in, in strewn over libraries all over the world. Anyone who will take a serious look at whether Jesus rose from the dead, in the end, you end up converted. <laughs> Josh McDowell is a perfect example of that. He said, I'm going to get rich. I'm going to prove he was a genius. And he said, I'm going to prove that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And after searching and searching and toiling in libraries and everything else, he had to bend his neck and say, Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords.
C.S. Lewis testifies that there was a night in England. This is one of the greatest minds of his time. He said, on that night, I was dejected. I did not want to give my life to Christ. But after looking at it, after looking at it for what it is, I had to bend my neck. He says, I was the most dejected, I think the way he put it, dejected convert in all of London. But I had to bend my neck. The, the uh, just popped into my head, Mortimer J. Adler is the, is the editor of the 100 Great Books. It was part of the encyclopedia set that our parents would buy when we were little kids, the 100 Great Works. And he was a, a Jewish man who gave his life to Christ. And here's what he said. He said, when I observed the divine majesty and the mystery of the story of Christ, I could not help but surrender my heart to him. Nothing and no one deals with the issues of man. Justly, fairly, and yet compassionately and graciously like Jesus. Nor the religion, nor the philosophy even come remotely close. Praise be to the living God for Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing that is amazing about the rising of the dead. You see, what happened was, is when Jesus rose from the dead, that unquenchable fire that was released to the disciples and the apostles, that unquenchable, that incredible energy and wisdom and endurance and, and joy being in prison and being, being beaten and they're singing in prison at midnight and, and being stoned and running back into the crowds and, and saying, no, don't crucify me standing up. That's the way they crucified me, uh, crucified my Lord. I'm not worthy of that. At least put me upside down because I'm not worthy of him. What was that? Here's what it was. And the apostle Paul Paul outlines it. It's a very simple word that I, I pray that we would never get used to saying this word, that we would recognize the power of it. What happened was, is that the resurrection, the resurrection released God's grace. Release grace. We say the word grace so much that we don't realize, and I, I could, I'm telling you, I could preach for hours. Help me, Jesus. We don't realize the power of the word grace. The Apostle Paul, okay, who was the worst of the worst, the Apostle Paul, this was probably his favorite word. He used it 144 times. God raised up this guy who's testifying to write half of the New Testament, and he was constantly using the word of grace. And here's his testimony. And he's talking about this amazing word. He says, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But, everyone, let's read this together. Ready? By the grace of God, I am what I am. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. By the grace of God, I am what I am. 
And what he was basically saying is when Jesus rose from the dead, the resurrection released his grace upon his life. Number one, guys, remember, the resurrection releases grace. It released grace back then, and it releases grace today. Okay, now let me give you, there's so many definitions, and I try to say this word in a fresh way. I did some study on this. Here's another way to put this amazing uh, uh, word for, that, that belongs to Christians only. It says this, it, grace is the divine influence on the heart in the form of a gift or an outworking of God's will. It's the inward, this was by Lecky, uh, uh, it was, it's the inward, invisible, superhuman, and life-giving action of the Holy Ghost uh, upon the human soul. It's the, it's the power of the Holy Spirit, the influence of the Holy Spirit upon our hearts and our minds and everything that, that, that uh, 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 speaks to who we are. In other words, grace was the primary outworking of the resurrection of Jesus, right? Now, I'm not going to spend a long time on this, but everyone needs to understand that grace, the main thing, the biggest, most important thing that happened when Jesus rose from the dead is that when he rose from the dead, now grace began to be released. The door was open. For grace to be released. If you, if you read in the, in, the, in the Gospels, in one of the Gospels, the Bible says that when Jesus died, the veil was torn in two, not from bottom up, but from top to bottom. How many know the finger of God reached up and said, I'm going to tear this open, and you used to be separated from me, but now I open it up because my son paid the price for all of our sin, so that no matter how ugly a day we are having, we can come boldly to the throne of grace and run into the presence of God, hallelujah, and we can receive mercy, forgiveness, and grace, this incredible influence on our lives. This influence can be received that what we need from God to live for the glory of God. So the resurrection releases his grace, and it's important for us to understand it. Then what the text does is it actually focuses on the apostle Paul, and I want to, the last point is going to apply most to us. This is an argument for application, so we'll get there. But listen, secondly, here's what this text is showing us, is that the resurrection was grace at work in Paul. He said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And then he says, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Now notice, he says, and his grace to me was not without effect. We need to bold that. He says, his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. And we're going to explain that in a moment. But here's the essence of what the Apostle Paul was saying. Here's the way the Apostle Paul put it. If you could put up the next slide for me. Here's his testimony. I am made by grace. And here's what he was saying. By grace, Jesus went to the worst. By grace, by grace he worked on the worst. And then lastly, by grace, he used the worst. Look at me for a second. Have you ever felt like the worst? Can I see your hands? 
Well, guess what? You're in good company. Because Paul said, I'm the worst. I'm the worst. And yet, and he proved that he was the worst. He killed the first martyr of the Christian church. He was responsible for that. Paul lived his whole life as a Pharisee, and when Jesus came on the scene, Paul was persecuting the church. He was going after them, and he was leading the way, but here's what grace did in his life, okay? Grace went to him. He was knocked off a horse. And and a lot of people don't understand, we don't go looking for God. God comes looking for us. So listen, the next time, regardless, you could be in the center of sin. Because of the resurrection, and we've all been there, in the center of our sin, the Holy Spirit goes like this. I want you. I love you. Haven't you ever felt in the middle of your sin the Lord say, I love you, don't do that? Come on. You know what that is? That's grace. Hallelujah. On our worst day, praise God for his grace. Nothing like it. Okay, uh, listen, the, the Buddhism, all of the, all of the religions, Islam, Hinduism, none of them address this issue. That when we're our worst, God is his best. Hallelujah. <laughs> Blessed be the name of the Lord. So look, by grace, he went to the worst. No matter where you are today, if you're not in Christ, just know Christ is looking for you. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Look, by grace, he worked on the worst. He said, the grace of God was not without effect. That word not without effect means that it, it wasn't a fruitless thing. All right? It, it, it had an impact on him. You see? And God, by his grace, he works on us. And that's what we're going to get to in a moment. And we'll close. And then, after God works on us, guess what happened? It says, by grace, he used the worst. Not for nothing. But when you think about who would be the candidate to write half of the New Testament, who would be the candidate to become the true leader of the New Testament church, for sure, for sure, in when, 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 when Jesus died and the church was unfolding, okay, number one, Peter would not have been, not, not in our day, Peter would not have been picked. The guy who denied him 50 days later, he's the one who you picked to preach the first sermon of the New Testament? Grace. The one to write half of the New Testament? I mean, it wouldn't have been Apostle Paul if we were choosing. But see, when you understand grace, you understand that no matter how ugly we are, all things are possible with God. Can I get an amen? Hallelujah. This was his testimony, and that's why when Donnie was singing, Jesus, we love you, I'm telling you, I almost ran up here and just preached right there. Because where would we be? Beds of depression, beds of sin, discouragement, darkness, bondage. Hallelujah. Praise God. 
for his grace in the Apostle Paul's life. And now, all of this is, let's start applying this to ourselves. Okay? Resurrection released grace. Resurrection grace was at work in Paul. And now resurrection grace is grace at work in us. And here's, look at what he's saying. He gives this long explanation about all of the witnesses. Then he testifies to himself. And now in one sentence, he's talking about us. And here's what he's saying. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach. And this is what you believe. How many have believed that Jesus rose from the dead? Could I see your hands? Could we put, I know we've been clapping. Let's put our hands together right now. Hallelujah. But here's what this means. If you believe in the resurrection, you believe in the power of grace. Let me say that one more time. If you believe in the resurrection, you believe in the power of grace for your life, for your home, for your calling, for your family, for your children, for your church. You believe in the power of grace. And here's what it basically, here's what it, it basically means and here's what it basically comes down to. It means that when God's grace is at work in us, it works in us, okay, and it causes us to work on ourselves. Leave, leave that up, please. Please leave that up. Okay, just leave up that verse for the rest of my talking now for a moment. Okay, what grace does, it works in us and it causes us to work on ourselves. Grace begins work by working in us on our character. He says, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. So you know what that means? That means that grace works in us. Everyone say grace works in me. Yes. Resurrection grace means that God's power, his influence, it works inside of us. It works and it begins with us. Okay, so when God's grace worked on Paul, it, it, it started by dealing with this angry, vicious criminal of a man. This proud, hard-hearted man that could kill people and throw them into prison, that's what it started to work on. You see, in other words, grace, he said his grace was not without effect. The grace of God should have an impact on us. And it begins, first of all, with our character. That means me. Here's, here's what it means. It means that, it, let's, say, let's say you're a liar. Okay? Some people battle with lying. What grace does is grace takes a person who battles with lying and he starts to do a work of honesty. Do you know some people, they get into the habit of being a liar and they just lie like it's, it just, some people are chronic liars. They lie, it becomes an art for them, like a skill, because they just get used to it, you know? But how many know God can take a liar and make him honest? How many would say amen, God is able to take a liar? 
The grace of God takes an angry guy like Paul and makes him a kind and humble servant. You see, the grace of God takes a liar and that liar all of a sudden becomes honest. The grace of God, let's say someone battles with gossip, okay? Nobody here battles with gossip, right? But see, what grace does is it does a work in us that we feel so humble when, when God begins to work in us and we feel so much respect for people that even though we might see flaws in them, we're like, wait, that's my brother, that's my sister. They're made in the image of God. I can't talk bad about them. How many know grace is able to go, I can't talk about them. I have to pray. Not to mention, I need them to pray for me because I'm worse than they are. That's how you know grace is in. When you get tempted to criticize someone, when you get tempted to put someone down and the grace of God is really at work in your life, guess what God does? He shows you who you are more than who they are. You see? Grace works on a rebel. Some people, they develop. And by the way, I, I'm just randomly pulling this out because we all have our flavor of sin and twistedness. We all have our bent. Pastor Simba once said is that we all have our structural weakness. Okay? But look, he says, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect, which meant his grace worked on me. Grace can make the perverted eyes turn away from perversion. That's grace. You see, the, it's like, oh, that's over there. It's, it's in that direction. No, I don't want to look at that anymore. I used to want to look at that, but I don't understand. My heart, my heart, I can't look at that anymore. You ever, you ever, I can't look at that. I can't do that. I can't say that. I can't go there. What is that? Is that us? How many know that's never us? It's always the grace of God at work in us. A rebellious person. You see, so many of us, every, everyone in life ends up under authority. Everyone has to be accountable. The nature of our world is reject all authority. The nature of God's kingdom is submit to authority. You see, we just, this happened uh, uh, yesterday uh, I got stopped by a police officer, and um, I was riding through a little town in Wisconsin, and uh, I passed this guy. It's a true story. I passed this guy, and when I went to pass him, he sped up. And so I sped up, and I just left him in the dust. <laughs> so he called the cops. This is a tiny little town. He called the cops, and the guy stops me and says, uh, um, hey, somebody called in that you were speeding. I would say, did they call in and tell you what? Uh, actually, I didn't do that. Here's what I said. I said, okay. So stay quiet. We went through license registration. And he said, well, I didn't really see you. I said, okay. So he went, checked, see if I had, you know, speeding tickets or whatever. And my record was clear. So he came back. Then I said to him, not for nothing, but this guy had a bad day. And you get to I said, I want to, I like submitting. I told him, I like submitting to authority. 
And he said, I know, I noticed that. Right? And Chrissy was sitting in because it almost seemed like I was about to slide out from under that moment. And I was like, how could that guy call you and just, and all of a sudden you get to stop me and hold up my day and all this kind of stuff. And he said, I didn't give you any tickets or whatever. I said, you're going to go call that guy? He says, as a matter of fact, I am. I said, all right, we're cool, right? <laughs> but look, some people, they see a police officer, all they could do is get angry. Okay? Some people see a boss or a teacher or a this or that or a pastor or whatever. All they can do is feel anger. They walk in a spirit of offense. You see? Okay? And if you're one of those people that you got an issue with authority, you are so operating foreign from God's kingdom because God's kingdom is a kingdom of authority. You want to be under when grace is at work in your life, you want to submit to your boss. You want to submit to your husband. As a husband, you want to be accountable to your wife. You want to say, honey, here's where I am, and here's my passwords, and here's what I'm doing with my time, and here's where I go. You want to be accountable. You know what you call that? You call that grace. The flesh doesn't like that. But grace says, I want to be under because grace, the Bible says in another place, like I said, there are hours of this. I'm gonna, I have to bring this to a close, but listen, the Bible says, it is God who works in us both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. I wanted to put up like 29 slides today, but I just couldn't. I'm just quoting them to you. You see, God works in us and he causes us both to will and to do. Now, here's what I want to, we're, we're, we're almost done here. But look, he says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, this is what I was thinking about. This, this was such a challenging text in a way. But notice this. What a, what a myster, mysterious connection and dependence we need with God. Because look, it says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me, my character, was not without effect. And then it says, no, I worked harder than all of them. Now here's what that means. It means that God's grace comes to you and I, and this is where this starts to really apply. God's grace comes to us, and when God's grace comes to us, guys, when you get that impulse towards godliness, just always know it's not you. It's him. So here's what happens. This is the difference between people who grow in God and people who don't grow in God. The Spirit comes and He tries to affect you so that you could become fruitful. When you get that impulse, it could be read your Bible. It could be don't say that. It could be don't respond that way. When that starts to happen, some people get that. And here's what Paul used to do. Paul used to get that feeling. Oh, you want me to go in this direction? And he would charge. You see? Some people get that feeling. And they go, is that really you, Lord? Oh, yeah. No, the devil is telling you to do something godly. How I many the devil doesn't tell you to do something godly? Listen, your flesh doesn't tell you to do godly things. The flesh is selfish. The Holy Spirit comes, and this is how you become more and more sensitive to the Spirit. Because the Spirit comes and He says, 
don't say that. Say this. You go, yes, Lord. And you say that, and you say even more. Okay? So, like, here's my, my first temptation was say something right out of the chute to the police officer. And the, 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 the Spirit said, don't say anything. How many know when the Holy Ghost says don't say anything, the best thing you could do is don't say anything. <laughs> Wives, husbands, like I'm telling you, it works. Okay? But listen, don't say anything. Didn't. But now it's like, you know, now that I think about it, I just want you to know, officer, I like to submit to authority. Okay? It's like, I want to grow in this area. I recognize that I should be under you. I'm under you. Okay? You see? Paul will take, don't say anything, and push further. Okay? Uh, uh, don't say anything to your husband when he told, when you told him already, don't do that, and this big explosion mess is going to happen. When the big explosion mess is going to happen, don't say anything when he gets home. In fact, say, honey, what can I make you? Okay? Can I make you something special today? I know you've had a hard day. How many know? Come on, ladies, that's grace. That's grace right there. Power! You see? Now, everyone here, everyone here, this is real homework because you can't, we're going to pray, but you can't do this in a church meeting. You got to do this on your knees. You got to go home and you got you to gotta play the tape. What is God talking to you about? Okay? Because God, he speaks to us and he says, adjust this, adjust that. Learn about this. Learn about this. Grow in this area. Find out what the Bible says about this. Paul said, but I worked hard, and yet it wasn't me. It was the work of God in me. Look, now I worked harder than all of them. And then he says, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Because remember, every time you say yes to the Spirit, everyone say yes to the Spirit. We can say yes to the Spirit. We can say yes to grace. When you say yes to the Spirit, now the Spirit starts to walk with you and guide you and something starts to build. You see? Something incredible starts to build. And look, he says, so, last thing. By the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace to me was not without effect. Can I, can I, one of the things that we should pray is when God's grace comes to Daniel and says something that Daniel would listen. When God's grace goes to Danny, that Donnie, that Donnie would listen. You see, he was in a deep, difficult place, but grace came and he responded. How many are thankful that Donnie has responded to the grace of God? You see, and to all of us, Every single one of us, and the first work of grace is always our character. But look, he says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And, and when he says, I am what I am, he's talking about the fact that now he went from enemy of God to apostle of God. So, so here's the closing thought. The resurrection 
released the grace of God, this divine, superhuman, life-giving influence to work on us, right, on our character first, and then to so work on our character that it starts to produce the outworking of our calling. Because the Apostle Paul, remember guys, the Apostle Paul was an enemy. Let me just read this to you and we're going to close. See, the grace of God works in us and causes us to work on ourselves, but it also works in us and causes us to work on our calling. Everyone say calling now. Resurrection grace is not mature in a person's life until it is bearing the fruit of God's will. I know that this is a lot, but you got to grab hold of this last point. Resurrection grace is not mature in a person's life until it is bearing the fruit of God's will. Being in God's will and bearing fruit in God's will is one of the biggest aims and goals of God's grace at work in your life and my life. You see? So God comes. He works on us. And then as he works on us, He's also working out our calling. How many people are Christians here? Could I see your hands if you're a follower of Jesus? Can I tell you something? All right, you raise your hand. You have a calling. You have a calling. If you want to get the most out of this Easter season, revisit the call of God upon your life. Because here's how you know that grace is at work. When grace is at work, it doesn't matter where you've been. How many know if God wants to make you an apostle? He can make you an apostle. God can make you the anointed businessman, the anointed wife, the anointed teacher, the anointed uh, preacher, the anointed servant in the most high God, in the house of the most high, the anointed bass player. Whatever God has called us to, God's grace, the goal of that grace is to make us anointed in our calling for his glory. That means that it is God's will. It means that it is God's will for you to do way more than come to church on Sunday. It means that God has a very special plan and purpose for your life and mine. How does it happen? Do we have to work this up? Do we have to get a degree for it? No. It's all by His, everyone, grace. It's all by His grace. So look, when I was, it's 10 o'clock, it's time for us to go. And can I tell you, I thought about making an altar call. I thought about doing a lot of things. But this message is so personal and sometimes, here's, we make altar calls so that you could learn how to respond to God. But listen to me, okay? We make altar calls so that you could learn to respond to God and so that you could go home and respond to God. I want to challenge you, okay? I want to challenge you, you by yourself, okay? You by yourself. Today, make time and say, God, God, I want to be made by grace. 
I want to be like the Apostle Paul. I want to be made by grace. I want to be a woman of God that is made by grace. I want to be a man of God that is made by grace. I want to have a family that is made by grace. We want a church that is made by grace. Not good speaking, not great singing, not fancy anything. We want the power of resurrection grace. Hallelujah. Grace, grace, grace. God gets all the glory. And so come on, let's all stand. Hallelujah. Listen, you're being challenged and invited. You're being challenged and invited. This service is not over until you go to God by yourself today. Okay? You may have to stop at, at Mariano's when you go out. You may have to go get a burger at Chili's. You may have to got a lot of things to do. But I'm telling you right now, grace will not have had its effect today unless you set aside a little time for the King of Kings, the Lord and Master of your life, and say, Lord, I need resurrection grace. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening, just like the little boy said. Hallelujah. Take the hand of someone next to you. Here's how we're going to close. God, hallelujah, we want to be made by grace. Come on, pray to the left and to the right. God, release your grace in everyone's life. Release it. Release grace, oh God. Let the power of the resurrection be released among your people, oh God. Release your grace. Release your grace today, oh God. God, turn us. Work on our character and, and fulfill our calling, oh God, for your glory. Move by your mighty power. Move, oh God. Move on every heart, on every life, oh God. Let your grace be released. Let your grace, oh God, empower us for your glory, oh God. Help us to participate with grace. Help us to work with grace like Paul did. And yet it's your grace helping us to work, oh God. We thank you. We thank you. May every hand being held, oh God, be touched by the hand of God today, oh God. God, as we hold hands as one body, Lord, we ask that you would touch your body of believers, oh God. We ask, oh God, that you would work out the great call upon all of our lives. Every person has a call. Work out the call by your mighty power. Do it. Send us out, oh God to commune with you and to be used by you for your glory and your glory alone. In the mighty name of Jesus and everyone said, could we give him one more hand before we go? Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord.